This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Swansea has more McDonald's and clean sheets this season, so don't forget your Muck Nuggets are closer than you think with Muck Delivery. The only thing left to say is, you in? Order now in the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via the app are participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for further details. Hey Spotifyers, click or tap the banner to listen to Rap Caviar, the freshest 50 hip-hop songs on the rawest playlist ever. Brought to you by our friends at Stars and the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. Welcome back to another episode of the Swans Cast podcast, everyone. And I'm just doing a little introduction ahead of the normal video this time, just to give a shout out to our special guests today, who kindly reached out to us to collaborate on a podcast both ways, uh, to talk about Jordan Morris, Swansea City, and everything that comes with that. So it is the Seattle Sports Union, so they also have a podcast. You can check that out on Podbean and also Spotify as well as some other podcast services i'll link down below in the description where you can find these as well as their social medias and their website such as twitter and their facebook group so check them out they definitely deserve a little you know your support to go and see how the podcast went and some of their other content if you're interested in other american sports like american football um basketball and baseball if you follow any of that stuff they cover everything with their local teams based in Seattle. So check them out, really good content. And I'll get into today's videos, I hope you enjoy. We hope to do another one further down the line. So get any questions you have that you'd want us to potentially ask them in the future in the comments and we shall catch you again. Welcome back everyone then to another episode of Swanscast podcast and a little bit of a special episode this time. So we've collaborated with some lovely people we've uh, we've been chatting to for a bit now from the Seattle Sports Union. So I've got Abraham and I've got Richard and obviously I've got Lee along with me today as well. So just going to talk a little bit really. Obviously we've got Jordan Morris has come over from, from Seattle in the MLS. There's the, that's where the connection has come from. So we've been in contact. We wanted to sort of get each other's views a little bit on um, how we all see the situation and uh, help each other out in that regard. So to begin then, I just want to touch on maybe football or soccer in in the USA. Um, so what is the general opinion as football or soccer as a sport in your country, like compared to other sports? Because for us, it's kind of like the big one, the main, the prominent sport. So I just wanted to know maybe what the general perception is for you. Sure. Let me, let me go ahead and start off with that. So 
I would say prior to 1996, uh, soccer was a a rich person's game. It was it was it was what you played in an Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, that type of thing. Um, it, it was a it was a it was what rich white kids uh, played, right? Um, that has significantly turned with two major events. I would say, uh, 1994, yeah, the World Cup came to America, and that emboldened a brand new generation. Uh, right now, the soccer is the number one sport, number one played sport among youths in America. And the second big thing would be, uh, you know, just want to give a quick little shout out to our Seattle Sounders who actually turned the MLS on their heads in 2009. We changed the game and the MLS has changed and it's never looked back. Just interested to sort of like, how, what, what what was it that changed that sort of made this uh, this massive change and what happened? I'll, I'll jump in and, and, and tell you a couple things. So uh, the Sounders had a, a bit of a celebrity uh, ownership group that helped. Um, they put things like the name of the team up for a fan vote. So th- there's been a tradition of a of the Sounders name in Seattle, but there were a whole bunch of other names bandied about, and uh, the ownership group actually listened to the fan base as a large. Who um, I believe, Abe, you'll, you're going to have to correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I believe this that they had a write-in option, and the Sounders fans wrote in the name Sounders because they didn't want any of the nonsense that the marketing folks had come up with. That's 100% correct. The That was a write-in campaign. Uh, in fact, they didn't even have a write-in option. People just took the just took the ballots and wrote it in, scribbled it in. Yeah. And and then um, Drew Carey, I don't know if you, you folks know, he's, he's, he was a, had a comedy show for a number of years on American television. He's one of the owners. He uh, he started something new. He said, he, let's have democracy in sports. Let's have a, a fan council. And let's make the general manager subject to a vote out by the fan council if they're horrible. And so every four years, there's a vote to retain or fire uh, whoever's, whoever's actually in charge of making the soccer operations choices. So maybe they don't have the term general manager or technical director or whatever, but whoever is the grand poobah, who actually chooses the players and hires and fires managers and coaches, that person's head is on a chopping block every four years, which is unique in any American sport. That's, uh, I think some of our fans, Lee, probably agree would love that option. <laughs> with, uh, with the people they Yeah, sorry, right, I just, I just, uh, I just going yeah, to jump in, actually. I was thinking it's interesting that you made the, uh, you know, the connection you said that... Um, Football was a you know a rich man's game. I think that just to make the comparison, I think it's it's quite the opposite over here. I mean, it's it's quite a working sort of working man's game in in the UK, and I think rugby is probably the historically the rich man's game. Maybe not so much in Wales, but in the UK, England wider. Yeah, yeah it's especially in England, it's sort of the rich man's game. But but football is definitely the the working man's game. So it's interesting to see the the difference. To to expand on that, Lee, uh, the there's been a stratification in American society uh, recently, uh, and I don't mean just in the last couple of years, I'm talking the last 20 years, where you look at sports that require space and require equipment. Um, soccer doesn't require much equipment, but it requires a lot of space. And baseball does as well. And those are in urban areas, 
becoming, uh, those are games that are not played that often by urban youth in America. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it seems to be more a stratification, uh, you know, based off of economics here. And it, it, that is fascinating that that's the converse in your country. That That's, that's, that's very yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just a complete difference because like, uh, well, like you've touched on about the equipment. I mean, when I was younger, we would just go out after school and you could just put two jumpers, as, as we used to say, jumpers for goalposts is a is a saying where you just put two jumpers down and a ball and you can play football and it's that easy. And I think that's why um, over here it was just the easiest sport to get into. And we may touch on uh, the way the league systems work a bit later, but a lot of a lot of uh, local teams here where you play non-professional, um, they're based from from pubs. So it's a bit of a strange system where if uh, you've got a, a pub or a, or a watering hole in uh, in the UK, you have a football team linked with that, and that's how you play your local football. To say yes, there's, a, there's a massive difference. It's good to it's good to get the difference. Really. So I'm gonna let Rich. Oh, go on. I'm go on, sorry. Rich... Oh, sorry to interrupt. I no, no, no. Go on. I... I just thought of one other thing, and I'll let Rich expand on that because you, you're the one that told me about this, um, and I never thought about it. But in America as well, we have huge uh, uh, immigration is 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 a normal is a normal thing here, and you end up with city the most pop popular areas where soccer or the areas where soccer is soccer is most popular are areas where there's a lot of immigration. So cities like New York. Seattle, Los Angeles. Rich, do you care to expand on that a little yeah, bit? Because even yeah. Salt Lake City. Yeah, any any major urban city, uh, basically, where there's immigrants, especially from uh, Latin American countries, so Mexico on south into all parts of Latin America, but also uh, large immigration from Africa or uh, certain East Asian countries, they end up with their own unique uh, football uh, communities. And um, so the the number one sport, just from a ratings perspective, a TV perspective in the United States, is the NFL, without question. Um, and then number two is actually um, soccer, but it's Mexican soccer. Mexican soccer is the number two rated sport. Is, is that via Univision? Yeah, it's, it's, it's through our, our uh, Spanish language channels, uh, Univision, and there's a whole, there's a whole slew of them that broadcast the Mexican league. And so you have a big match uh, for like two Mexican powers, like uh, club America and Guadalajara, which is known as Chivas. That's their, their nickname. They're more famous as that you'll have that. And that'll, that'll outdraw anything, but like an NFL game um, as far as a TV ratings, because basically all of the immigrants <laughs> that are, that speak Spanish, they're, they're all crazy for, for, for football. And they, they, uh, they can get it in their own language, in their own, you know, culture, basically. And the, the last 25 years, you've seen a proliferation of the number of networks that broadcast uh, football. And I was going to say that that's, that's also a huge draw. One other thing I, I wanted to kind of bring back to, to why Seattle, what, what Seattle did differently. Seattle somehow, and I don't know what, what all went into the marketing, but Seattle sold out the stadium uh, as, as as so the stadium we we play in is the Seahawks in the NFL stadium, okay, and it can seat sixty nine thousand people. We do not fill that on a on a regular basis, but we have a lower a lower part of the stadium. And that first match, 
which was against New York Red Bulls, uh, which is owned by the Red Bull Group. That was sold out as, as many people as, as, as tickets they could have. Day one, it was sold out. And it wasn't just sold out. It was loud. It was raucous. It was a, like just it, it compared the, the environment compared to like a German, a Bundesliga, you know, big match with banners waving, people singing, fans jumping like in unison as they chanted uh, and as the match went on. And that that type of connection to the community um, has become what MLS is known for. And so, like, we have a rival down the down the the highway, uh, the Portland Timbers. And that that match, um, as much as uh, some marketing type would like to get, that match is the standard for what MLS wants to sell, for what yeah um, what they want there to be is these these rivalries that are regionalized where there's there's real you know i guess maybe animosity is the wrong term but let's say real rivalry um yeah and uh, history and so uh i mean we have a we have a rivalry going back to 1974 which is nothing compared to say you your folks with Swansea and Cardiff, I imagine that goes back uh, <laughs> centuries. But um, <laughs> yes, probably. But for, from an American perspective, it's it's a very long rivalry in soccer. So the rivalry yeah. does sell and get views, I guess. Um, you touched on actually quite a lot of things that I've got in terms of what I want to cover. So I think what you've just said in that conversation, we will p- pick parts of that out and expand on maybe with the rest of the chat. Um, you did mention a little bit about relegation and promotion. And I don't really, I know bits about the MLS, but I don't know a lot about the MLS and how it works. Um, I just kind of wanted to know, how does it compare to what you know of the English league system in regards to relegation promotion? So obviously, as we spoke in your um, podcast earlier, Swansea's in the championship currently, our club. We could go up to the Premier League. It looks like we're in a good position to do so. And the Premier League would be the top division. If we had a bad season, we could also go down to the next one, which would be League One, and then as further we could go as well. But um, what would be like the equivalent of what happens in the MLS in regards to something like this? I'll I'll jump in and answer this one. So, uh, the best comparison is that the American soccer pyramid is like the UK's soccer pyramid was 120 years ago. Okay, it was a closed, basically a closed system where the biggest clubs got together and formed the, the English Football League. That's where we are in our development. We have a closed system. Major League Soccer is the, the, the pinnacle in the American soccer pyramid. There is not promotion and relegation of any formal, systematized way. What we have been seeing is Major League Soccer has grown from uh, a startup league with, I think, 12 or, 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 or 14 teams. And then they, they actually contracted. They had, a, they had some financial troubles. They almost collapsed in the mid-2000s and then have grown from there and then exploded since Seattle joined the league as far as uh, ratings on TV, attendance at matches, and then the money that people are willing to pay to join the league, we have a, a franchise system. So you, you pay $100 million, $200 million for the right to join the league. Um, so uh, that, is, um, that is very different. Um, with that being said, 
you know, there's there's a lot of talk. There's a certain uh, minority subset of the fan base that really wants promotion relegation. I, I don't know. Prof- uh, you know. I'm not a professional. I don't know all the, the, the ins and outs of this, but I, I will say it as a, as a fan, I don't see it until we have, I don't know, 100 soccer franchises across the United States that we could have any any semblance of a, of a similar uh, setup as as you folks have in it's also in the it's UK. also a hard, it's also a hard sell over here because you take a look at like you said uh, one of the owners of the Sounders is a celebrity Drew Carey um, Russell Wilson quarterback at the Seattle Seahawks is also an owner uh, he's just recently passed away but Paul Allen co-founder of Microsoft uh, part owner if you're telling a team like the Sounders who sell 45,000, 45,000 butts and seats at a stadium per game. Uh, up until Atlanta United came in the league, they had the highest average attendance of any any soccer team. Average attendance that rivals Bundesliga games. Uh, and you tell them, hmm, yeah, you just hit the bottom of the table. Uh, we're going to have to send you down to the minor leagues. I don't think you can sell that to a team that's been selling out games. Uh because you're going to, uh, oh, you guys, Luke, Lee, you guys were telling us you get, you get fewer fans at games when you get knocked down to the next level. That's going to be a huge revenue loss. And I don't know if, I don't know if the owners want that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you've, t- you've touched on a good point there, actually, because we've had, uh, we've had it recently in our, um, in our league system where, um, you guys, I don't, you guys have probably heard of Leeds United and, uh, and Northern Forest where, Obviously, at one point, they were at the top of the English game. And in recent years, they have sort of slipped down into the into Tier 2 and, and even Tier 3, where they were still getting um, massive, massive numbers through the through the turnstiles. Um, and, and yeah, it, it happened to them. So I can understand, obviously, you know, the, the discontent with owners, especially because now that Leeds have actually got promoted back to the to the top division for the first time in in, in years, the, the revenue behind that with them filling stadiums eventually is is, is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's a good it's a good point to make actually. Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't there also been talk recently? And I don't think it's happening, but I think there's definitely a lot of parties interested in this with the Premier League and a new structure. Um, they they were looking at ideas. I think some of the bigger clubs than the owners would happily either a European league or a closed-off Premier League with no relegation. Stuff like that does keep coming out to the discussing new ways of um, approaching the league. I can't remember the name of what it was called, Lee. Can you? Project yeah. Reset or something? No, I can't, I can't remember. It was like a Euro... It was like a, no, it was like a European Super League sort of thing, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, we touched on it earlier on, on, on your podcast that there's definitely a divide between the sort of top six of the Premier League and and the rest of the league system, really. Everybody's sort of aspiring just to get into that, just underneath those top clubs. And I think that they're sort of seeing the revenue opportunity where they join the top four of the English League with the top two in Spain, with the top two in, in Germany, and they sort of make their own sort of Super League, if you like. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a conversation that keeps coming up all the time. And, and personally, I hope it doesn't happen because, obviously, for... For clubs like us, who obviously have that dream of just getting into that top league and playing those top teams, um, that that's that's. But uh, I think it is something. Obviously, money talks, and it is coming up. Something's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Um. Like we had a when we were in the Premier mm-hmm. League, we won the League Cup and ended up playing in the Europa League, which is the sort of second tier 
European competition. It's kind of like the FA Cup, the League Cup, but playing other teams in the um, in Europe as in a knockup. It's a group stage and then a knockup tournament. But we only qualified for that because we won a, the League Cup um, in our country. So um, having that sort of system in. You know, it might change the way that works, and then it's nice for us. We only, you know, we weren't expecting to get there again. Plus, one experience you'll always remember, and it's something we would never expect to get to, that we did, did get there once, and we had a good account yep. for ourselves. So it would change the dynamic, and I guess take some of the enjoyment out of the fairy tale stories and the romance of the English system. I guess, if you like, isn't it weird in the respect that a pro rel system is actually it's meritocracy, it's merit based advancement and we don't have that in america and I, it just hit me right now it's like wow what an un-american thing to <laughs> to be segregated into a higher class system yeah. yet we do it and that's <laughs> our sports you know yeah you have um you know the i guess the the drum that's always beaten is that you know europe is all about socialism but ironically enough European sport is the most merit-based, pure market sport. I mean, there's no salary caps. There's no, I mean, if you have revenue and you have money, you can spend it on whomever you want. You can make a team that's uh, had a very scattered, sketchy history, like, I don't know, say Manchester City, right? <laughs> and uh, have you know trillionaire owners. I don't know that, how much money they have. They have a lot of money. Well, they got the guys come in and they got the guys from the Middle East, right? That came right, in. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They have a lot of money, but and I think they've invested quite well in like... Um, sure. They're doing some good things for the wider community. Sure, sure. I mean, they, they've certainly... But but let's just be honest. Manchester United was kind of the the, the head of the, um, of the, the Premier the top League. Dog, yeah. and their top dog. And Manchester City is new money coming in and that's not fair that's uh, not fair because man manchester united didn't they get that where they got because of the glazer family their money um, afterwards but they've been winning stuff for a long time they had a lot, they've had the long history of being one of the most successful yeah. clubs in uh, in the league and i think a lot of the credit really goes down to their past manager alex ferguson um i think it's one of the most one of the the only times that you're going to say a club success for a long period of time is heavily their manager and the same manager it really doesn't happen anymore where that sort of success from one manager um happens over such a long time because they just don't get as much time these days um it's it's like casey stingle in the uh the, the 12 year run where he went to 10 10 world series abe it's just sure nick, nick saban right now nick yeah. saban right now in american college football so the, okay. the Belichick ring at uh, the oh, Patriots yeah, sure. minus, uh, yeah. minus Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> kind of linked to what you just said um, and about being a closed system in the league and we talked about stuff like that on our side. I, I just wanted to ask, how does a new club enter the scene then? For example, David Beckham and Inter Miami. That's quite a new new thing that's happening. Was it, what is the deal? Like, Is it just they buy their way in? Like, What happens? I'll let Rich explain that one. I, I, I don't fully grasp it myself. Um, very simply, yes, they buy their way in. Beckham signed one of the most astute uh, contracts ever um, when he was signed as the first, uh, what's now known as a designated player, but basically a player that's allowed to break the salary cap. You can spend whatever you want on them. 
both huh. in the terms of transfer fee and salary. And every Major League Soccer team is allowed three of those players. So when he signed that first contract to come over and play for the LA Galaxy, one of the stipulations in his contract is that he was allowed to have the rights to an expansion team, I think for 15 years, for only $10 million. Now, the most recent... So that's why he came over then. Yeah, I mean, oh. that because he, he always wanted to be the owner of, a, of sports and he wanted to be in sport and he knew that I think getting back into the English game, it was just too like too much beyond. You've got to like, start really low down. Yeah. yeah, and so uh, now expansion fees are uh, right around three hundred million dollars a piece, just just for the rights to start a franchise. Never mind a stadium, training facilities, and you know the the staff and the salaries, and the players. You know, but but that he he got that. A brilliant, a brilliant, uh, you know, economic move. He's brought in partners. He's not, you know, the grant. He doesn't have all. Um, he's not even the majority owner at this point. I think he's the the biggest owner, but not majority. He has a, a number of really deep pocketed partners yeah. in the Miami area. I guess he's just and, the face of it. Is he like the picture for the sell the vision? Yep. And they've they've had some some challenges finding an appropriate spot for their stadium. They did finally nail one down. They're playing in a temporary stadium right now. Um, they are positioned to become one of the premier franchises in Major League Soccer. They're not quite there yet. They had a rough first year. Uh, I mean, coronavirus, COVID-19 wrecked yeah. a lot of that. Uh, but they, they signed one of the biggest stars in, um, you know, on earth, uh, uh, Iguain. Um Gonzalo Iguain, who you know plays for the Argentinian national team as a as a forward, he's played at World Cups. Yeah. Um, he was on Chelsea recently. In, yep, and he was in uh, in at Naples for a long time, and then uh, with um, yeah. Juventus in the Italian league. So, uh, you know, not quite as Zlatan Ibrahimovic from a uh, personality standpoint, but certainly from a quality of play, he's right up there. Yeah, um, and they're they're well positioned, I think, moving forward. Uh, they've done some really good things from the infrastructure standpoint and starting an academy. Um, and, and Beckham is involved on a, a weekly basis. He's in Miami. Play, he's out on the field practicing with the players sometimes. He's at the training facility playing with the academy kids. He's really yeah, it's hands-on. Rough, it's a rough life he leads. Yeah, I mean, living <laughs> in Miami. Going out of Miami, just, yeah. oh, this is hard work. Oh, boy. Hot time. <laughs> well, that's that's all uh, really interesting take on them. Um, well, I think yeah. And then there's there's a couple of other odd mechanisms that you only see in primarily in American sports. You'll have um, when a new team comes in, they every team's allowed to protect certain players uh, and and keep them no matter what. And then um, you have a draft. Basically, you're allowed to poach players from other teams and and put them on your team. And then there's, all, of course, free agency and, and what, what not else. So uh, it, it's definitely an American, very American um, method of, of starting a new team. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, Lee. Sorry, Joe, I was just going to say, just to touch on that, I think it could be that, you know, as we said, that's an, that's an unbelievable contract that David Beckham signed. I mean, that's, that's just unbelievable. But I think that's something that could sort of bring European interest to the MLS because I am I right in saying that he's a point is he appointed Phil Neville as manager as well? Yeah, that's as, a as huge coach. Deal. I'm not sure. Am I, am I wrong? 
Yeah, he was he was appointed. Yeah, uh, so I think like that. Man. Yeah, so I think that could be you know that's that's sort of generated a lot of interest over here as well. You know, David Beckham's obviously big over here as well, and that everybody's interested in how they're doing. And now he's got um, Phil Neville going out there as well. So I think it's something that could start generating a lot of interest uh, in the MLS over here. Certainly. I was going to jump in that one other thing that's unusual about the MLS, I think, compared to um, other leagues worldwide, is uh, in general, um, head coaches, managers last a bit longer. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah. Because um, you you don't have these completely unrealistic expectations that you might have in other clubs in Europe. That's not fair. Um, that's not fair. It's not unrealistic expectations. What you have here is. Uh, a playoff system, a knockout playoff system. So your bar, your your bar for success is, I think, lower because it's what in the Premier League top three go to. Yeah, well, no, it's the, top four for yeah, the Champions, Champions League, League, and then there's one or two four. for Europa League, and then cup winners. And if one of the teams ready qualified wins a cup, it changes slightly. Um, but I think one thing as well you don't have, which again eases the pressure massively, and this is the worst thing in the Premier League. Is the relegation because that is such a drain on finances for the lower clubs, millions and millions of pounds. Um, that is why everyone sacks the manager because the cost of getting relegated. The consequences are yeah much greater. I'll I'll jump I'll push back a little bit on Abe uh, there that yes, one so thing that, that's that's <laughs> that's really hard to do in Major League Soccer. Um, is turn over your team overnight like you can in a European-style system where, um, you know, typically a manager will get hired and be able to bring in a lot of new uh, players to, to fit their system and, and style. And obviously this, this varies, I know, uh, based on the club and, and contracts. But uh, because of the salary cap situation and Major League Soccer's very odd um, – free agency system you it, you can turn over a team but it takes two or three years really to do that and then along with the fact that half the league qualifies for the playoffs you have a bar that um, is relatively easy to to uh, aspire to you also have u.s open cup and if you go and have a deep run there you you probably are able to survive um i was going to say that the, really the only notable manager that um, was has been fired after only one year was the one for New York City uh, FC just a few years ago. Jason Christ was given one year by the the bosses at Manchester and then fired um, in spite of them basically undermining him at every turn for the entirety of his tenure um, as far as uh, not giving him the players they had promised him and, and the money and the resources. So that's yeah, a so very familiar. unusual, very unusual situation actually in um, American uh, head coaches and ma manager situations. Typically, they're given a little more leeway. I'd say three to four years is pretty normal, even if you're at a struggling club. That's sort of um, what you just said about it, that, that one-year tenure is kind of, that represents, I think, what quite happens quite a lot over here. Um, pro promises aren't kept. You don't get the resources you thought you were going to get. The expectations are difficult to meet and the rest is history um but yeah that's 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 all that's all good then um i want to sort of stick with the mls but sort of transition obviously into jordan morris a little bit and the players so um 
as a transition point, in regards to young players coming into the MLS, I think the youth system is slightly different to what we'd expect over here. So we have like an academy in our club and recently we've been quite successful. There's been a few players that have come through our academy into our first team. But is there like a college system um, with you guys that works with the players coming up? I think Jordan Morris maybe came through that way. And obviously yeah. you regard him as home homegrown. So I was just wondering what the sort of background there is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so Jordan Morris went to Stanford, and Stanford's considered the uh, Ivy League college of the West Coast. Basically, academically, if he never plays another you know, game in his life, he's set for greater and better things in, in science or politics or whatever. A lot of very famous people came out of this, this university. So how so he went he went there succeeded won championships uh one player of the year the only problem in rich I, I know you're gonna expand on this one is that he comes out at age 22 which is almost a little bit too old uh, especially in europe right you're either hot stuff or you're not hot stuff by age 16 17 um so there the college system also almost does a disservice to soccer players in america because they mature at a later uh at a later grade uh before you like obviously i know you got more to say on that but like just from a swansea point of view from that point um 21 22 i agree with you though usually you know if a younger player is going to make it before that age what happened with us we had we invested a lot in our academy when we went to the premier league um we didn't really see that investment returned in terms of the players coming through until we've come back down to the championship. So the last two years, we knew there was a couple of names in there you could keep an eye on. No one ever really came into the first team and made a name for themselves. And that's partly because of the pressures I spoke about with the relegation. The manager hasn't got the luxury of trialling these young players. They, they need the experience, so they want to spend money to try and stay in the league. And then the young players don't get a chance. So when we went down, there were a couple of players that came through at that sort of age, 21, 22. Um, one, I don't know if you would have heard of him or not, Ollie McBurney, who we've sold him to Sheffield United, who are in the Premier League now, um, a season or two ago, for 20-odd million pounds. He was in our academy for a while, didn't break through. He only had one season with us then when we got relegated because we sold most of our players and uh, scored 20-odd goals in a championship and then got snapped up by another team for one season. So it doesn't always mean that age like he can't can't still break in but i think in the premier league and maybe like some of the other european top leagues it is definitely harder at that age but yeah if you want to carry on about um the, the youth system with you guys yeah i'll i'll jump in here for, for the youth system so a couple of things um i mean american soccer history has been primarily college based because uh, we we did not have a, a real functional professional league that has lasted more than um, just a few years until uh, Major League Soccer started in uh, in 1996, and um, because of that, if you wanted to play soccer, if you wanted to play for the national team, you went you played college because no one was going to take you as a high school kid. There were no there were no academies, um, so I mean our academy system is really let's say it's about 10 years old really at this point as far as clubs having their own players and you're starting to see um some american clubs really develop some wonderful players uh dallas 
uh, FC Dallas has developed a bit of a pipeline to Bayern Munich and has sold, I think, three or four players uh, over there or loaned them over there and, and let them uh, really develop. Um, uh, uh, so that there, there's that. And then, I mean, you, you also have uh, an, an additional challenge is that the United States is just geographically large. I alluded to it uh, uh, the last time I chatted with you, you fellas. And uh, you don't have enough scouts to look at everyone. I'll give an example. Um, one of our stars on the Sounders, uh, who is actually Jordan Morris's best friend on the team, they're the same age, um, Christian Roldan, he's a central midfielder. He was not regarded as anything. He wasn't even going to be able to play uh, college soccer, uh, football, uh, except that a scout looking at someone else at a camp saw him play and said, wow, this guy's really, really great. Let's get him instead of the guy I came to look at. <laughs> and then um, so he goes to the University of Washington for one season and then is drafted into Major League Soccer and has um, after one year as a as a regular substitute, uh, you know, nailed down the starting spot in our team. So, uh, you know, you you have some very odd American things with our academy system. Right now, we have a geo geographic based system that's probably going to go away um, pretty soon in the next few years, um, where you go from being restricted to only a certain physical geography in the United States to you can go get anyone you want that wants to work with you. But um, I think the American college soccer system will always be a part just because uh, you have late bloomers, you have kids that are in underserved areas or maybe rural areas that don't have the soccer instruction um, that's necessary to get them noticed. And college is a good way to, to get them some playing time and, and see who can, can rise to the top. And by the way, when Jurgen Klinsmann managed the U.S. men's national team, Rich, he said our academy system wasn't good enough. And yes, you he said did. he's a jerk. Uh, I did say he was a jerk because yeah. he's a horrible manager, <laughs> but he was a great recruiter and advocate <laughs> and technical director. He would be an ideal technical director with an actual uh, – you know, day-to-day -day game manager as, as someone that reported to him, that would have been an ideal setup. But um, he's just about the tac worst tactical day-to-day -day manager that the United States has ever had and, and possibly that Europe has ever had. Just look at the fact that he can't ever <laughs> stick in a job. Um, anyway, but uh, you, you're absolutely right. He, he raised the expectations, and, and hopefully those, those continue. I, I will make one other point about Jordan Morris. He... He came to the Sounders as a very raw, very unpolished player. He couldn't shoot with his left foot. Um, he, <laughs> he didn't have the confidence to shoot with his left foot because he's so talented. Um, he got a bit over right-footed. Um, never mind that the best player in the world, possibly in history, is extremely left-footed, and no one cares. But... Um, <laughs> Who's Quite. that? Yeah, Who is that? Uh, uh, Leo Messi. <laughs> wow. For the yeah. uh, if you just ever watch him, he always always dribbles with his yeah. left foot. He never yeah, no, that's right. right foot. Yeah. Hardly ever shoots with his right foot, and it doesn't matter. But uh, the, the knock on Jordan Morris for a long time was he couldn't pass and he couldn't, he couldn't shoot with his left foot, which was probably overly harsh. I will say this. Uh, he had a horrific uh, injury in our 
North American Champions League, uh, playing on a horrible pitch. Uh, it, was, it was like the worst AstroTurf you've ever seen. And he blew out his knee. Yeah. And it, it was the single best thing for his career um, for two reasons. He had basically played nonstop for about four years with no rests, no breaks, because he kept on getting called up to the national team. He never had a chance to let his body heal and recover, and he never had a chance to really um, refine his game. Um, we had a coach who was the offensive coach, the assistant coach, who um, his, na- his name is Preki. He was uh, an, an Argentinian, t- tremendous playmaker, scorer, just pure attacking player. And he basically put Jordan Morris into boot camp for a year while he recovered from his ACL. He made him watch film. He made him work on moves. He made him pass, pass. Like he basically made him shoot twice. For every one shot with his right foot, he made him shoot twice with his left. For every pass with his right foot, he made him pass twice, do the same pass with his left foot. And um, he came back the last two seasons really as a complete winger who could cross deep. He could cross short. He could cut back. He could dribble left. He could dribble right. Um he could, you know, hit those 25 yarders at the top of the box um, if no one came out to, to guard him. He, he really rounded out his game. Um, and then you combine that with the, the, the pace he has and the fact that he is very, very strong. Uh, if he goes down uh, from a tackle, it's because someone really drug him down. Uh, I know that, Lee, you, you like your NFL football. I mean, he's built, he's built like, yeah. a, like a linebacker. Um, <laughs> just happens to run like a wide receiver. So well, one of the um, boys actually watching him the other day commented on his build because they were surprised to see his build coupled with yeah. his pace. And that, yeah, that was that was a big shock to us. I mean, we thought because the because we hadn't actually seen a lot of him play, and I mean, all the, the YouTube clips and uh, and everything that we'd seen on Twitter was obviously about his pace. And then when he when he actually played the other day, we were actually surprised about his build. He is quite sort of stocky, as we see. You know, he's big. I mean, it doesn't look like I I wouldn't want to try and get him off the ball. And yeah. that was a big surprise to us. I just have a quick question before we we go specifically on to Swansea. Just a just a super quick question. Um, you said about the draft, and when when I hear the draft, I think of obviously the NFL. Is it the is it the same sort of setup where? Um, the teams have so many picks and so many rounds and uh, college players. Is it the same sort of setup, or is it a little bit different in the in the football? It's, yes it's, and no. Go ahead, Abe. I'll let you get into the intricacies. Uh, I just wanted to mention that it's almost, in my opinion, it's almost worthless. There was a certain point in time where your only pipeline was college, but so many players come from South America. So many, you know, it. it and they're not a part of the draft. Therefore, why do we have it? You know, it just doesn't seem like it's it's useful. It's fair, it's fair comment. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, um, only the top a top few players really are useful in this, and um, it, it's it's a it's a bit of a uh, yeah, it's 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 less useful than it was say five years ago, significantly so. With that being said, you still have stars come through, like uh, Daryl DK uh, for Orlando City, who now is getting a run with the with the U.S. Men's National Team. All of a sudden, he, he just had like one year in college, developed really really quickly, uh, but wasn't in any any clubs academy. So it still has its uses. It's fallen a lot. 
a lot more teams are dedicated to signing players out of high school um, or at, you know, 16 and then developing them, them themselves. They get a lot more playing time. And yeah, if, uh, we take a, if you take a look at the Sounders makeup, the Sounders, uh, they didn't draft Morris, right? They got him as a homegrown exception. Yeah. Um, the, the bulk of the team, especially uh, star power, are guys that they picked off from uh, various Argentinian leagues or, you know, uh, South American uh, football. So it, it's a lot of other teams. What they do is they take uh, a lot of players that have aged out in Europe. So, you know, it just kind of seems like the best. I, I, let me rephrase that. It's not that the best players are coming from these other regions. There's a large quantity coming from other areas. And so I, I don't know. Unlike the NFL, the NFL, the only place you're getting NFL talent, the only place is college football in America. Uh, and it's it's too diverse, uh, you know, uh, in soccer. I, I think it's an antiquated model that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to move on probably now to talk about Swansea, um, see what you guys know about, about our club a little bit. And um, But before <laughs> I do that, just, I just uh, sort of a one word yes or no, I guess. Morris and Ariola. I know we haven't really talked about Ariola too much, but do you think yes or no? Have they got what it takes to succeed in uh, the English leagues? Uh, Ariola was actually pretty good at uh, Tijuana uh, Mexican League, and he's on the U.S. Men's National Team. So uh, you take that, and you take Jordan Morris, who's the best, the best and the brightest of homegrown talent here. Uh, I, I don't know if I can answer your question. Rich will do a better job on that. <laughs> but if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be these two guys. Okay. I was going to say that I think that um, Paul Ariola has, has, is, is an excellent candidate to succeed, especially in the English Championship. I know it's a little bit more of a physical league, um, especially what I've watched uh, since Swansea came, uh, you know, got Jordan Morris and now, now or Ariola. It, lo- it looks like um, you're, you're kind of at the top of the heap. And the the less uh, the less fortunate the, the less talented teams want to just kick your players a lot. Well, if you is ask that... the top of the table, Brentford at the moment, they think we want to kick them. So they were happy <laughs> the other day when we played them. They were not That's happy. True. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a very physical league. Um, a lot of physical play. Both of these players are very well suited for that. Okay. Um, uh, Ariola playing in Washington uh, for for DC United. Um, really honed his game i think he's a tough player he will track back he can play you know midfield he's he's uh he can play central midfield he can occasionally play striker but he is he is a tenacious player even if he's not got it going um offensively that day he's going to give you a full effort um jordan morris no one's gonna brag about his defense but he tracks back he gets in his other players faces he doesn't let them get easy shots um it will look for (laughs) it will look often like he's tired and worn out and just kind of jogging and not doing his job and then he will burst through with an you know a 65 yard you know curving run that breaks a defense into in half um i hope we get to see everything i yeah (laughs) from everything i've seen um even with the uh, the no call the other uh, a couple games ago where he uh, was pulled down in the box, and he's looking at the at the, the central referee saying like what 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 else do I have to do to earn a penalty? 
here. Um, he has he's really matured his game. <laughs> I'm sure that the European coaches are going to refine it even more, give him a little more tactical uh, acumen. Um, but he yep. he really is t- extremely talented, but also just has has really improved his tactical timing and physical skills. Um, I, I think that if if these two can't make it, it you know, for, for Swansea, I don't know who is going to be able to, to break in in that kind of middle, like not a super young player, but like also not a veteran, like kind of in that middle ground. I don't know who else could make it. That's important to note uh, that he's 26. He turned down, uh, was it Wiedmer? He turned down... Uh, uh, was it Werder Bremen? Werder, sorry, yeah. Um, when he was younger uh, and... 21, yeah, that that would have been that would have been a shot most people in their lifetime don't get a second opportunity. This is his second opportunity, and you're going to get somebody that's hungry, and yeah. that's something to that's something that 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 intangible is hard to get out of somebody. Uh, often, you know, you take a look. For, you you mentioned Lee uh, Freddie Adu, um, or was it one of you guys mentioned Fred? Somebody mentioned. Yeah, it was Freddie. it was Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and and what you got was somebody who got too much too fast and didn't know how to deal with it and that's why he doesn't nobody talks about him anymore 16 he was given the world put on a pedestal um you know you take a look at Ariola and you take a look at uh uh jordan morris they've had to earn everything and this might be their last shot to make it big time well i'm sure they will come we will accept them as fan base and wish them on and hope (laughs) them all the best but that moves me kind of on to what I want to ask you about us. So what do you know about Swansea as a city, as a football club, um, sort of in regards to our stature and our reputation potentially? And then are there any standout players for you that are currently in our, in our club? I'll let Rich talk about players. Uh, I I know about Swansea. Uh, I, somebody mentioned to me about, uh, when was it, about seven, eight years ago when you guys made the EPL? Yeah. Um, they they kind of brought your whole community together because there had been, never been a team in Wales to ever make the EPL. So, so there glad was, you there mentioned was a... that right on our video. We'd love to, uh, that's a very <laughs> proud, uh, proud one over our neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> but, but from what I understand, he was telling me there's a lot of pride in that. And, yeah. Uh, that's, that's the extent uh, to what I knew before, you know, talking to you guys so just to give you a background um i don't know the ins and outs and details of when it happened and how but there's a couple of clubs from wales that were invited into the english leagues a long time ago us cardiff wrexham newport is Merthyr one lee there's another one no i think the other one recently is uh they're very low down the system so they're not really um that relevant but it's not many of us and we're in the english league system we kind of get a lot of sticks sometimes from the english fans being like well you're welsh you shouldn't even be in our league anyway we get that often (laughs) but yeah for us getting into the premier league in its current format not the top flight but the premier league was massive and very proud thing because they like to say they're the capital city of wales and the, and the biggest club well it's like well we got there first and we actually managed to stay there for a respectable <laughs> amount of time so um but yeah what about you then rich in terms of players anyone standing out from from our club uh yes uh i was very impressed with both uh jamalo and uh, uh ayu um yeah. 
Andre Ayew. Just Andre Ayew was was just a beast to watch. I think against Brentford uh, in that match, it was just his ability to hold up the ball, make plays, uh, get everyone else involved, and then somehow, like five seconds later, he'd have the ball on the wing, and five seconds later, he's up top in the in the central, you know, um, holding position, making a play, putting Jamalo in playing it back to the midfield. It was just it was just a masterclass of do a little bit of everything and do it well. And then he had a I think it was, it was I think it was that match where he had the the ball kind of pop around in the box and then he just popped it in without even looking at the goal. Uh, oh, that was that the goal. Norwich match that was the, Nor- the Norwich after the corner. Up. Yeah, so it came down in the yeah. corner and he sat kind of just like made the most of a bad situation right. for them. And they right, got it in. exactly. So I've been very impressed there. Um, some additional player. Let me pull up the. Uh, I apologize. Uh, one of your central midfielders was uh, caught my eye as well. Uh, I'm trying to think. Who, Probably who, either Mac Rhymes, Jay Felton, or Horahan. Horahan. That's who it was. I yeah. just was yeah. super impressed with his work rate and just he kind of a. Uh, kind of reminded me of, of two players that we have here, kind of a combination of the two. Are, I mentioned him before, Christian Roldan, kind of a do-everything central midfielder. And then we have uh, Nicolas Ladero, who's a tireless, uh, classic Argentinian number 10, except he's from Uruguay. Um, and uh, just, just the ability to just run and run and run and do really everything a bit, you know, well yeah. was, was very impressive. And I I look forward to seeing a, a, a few through balls to uh, Jordan Morris uh, bursting through yeah. Morahan um, moving forward. That's 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 a hope. I think uh, just to just to jump in as well. I think uh, it probably lead into our next question actually about our um, probably one of our last questions about about our owners. I think um, having coming down from the from the Premier League, we had to get a rid get rid of a lot of our higher owners in the team just to sort of balance the you know the financial problems of as we said about the pressures of coming down from from the league and we've been so lucky that IU has managed to stay we I mean we got rid of a, of all of the high earners apart from IU so we've managed to keep him in the squad for this season um yeah and, and I'm glad you picked that out really because I think it's just been a main it's probably going to be one of the main reasons why we get promoted this year if we do uh, go on and get promoted. So it's uh, it's important, and you've just you've just made my weekend that you've uh, recognised that we were the first Welsh team to to get into the Premier League. I mean, we yeah. can talk about that all oh, night. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, um, obviously Horahan just joined from. We got him recently from Aston Villa on loan again. Um, so yeah. he he's new for us, but he scored in his first three games for us. So again. Us are good players come in. We, you know, it, it looks like we're going in a good direction. So that's why we're excited again. Then with the other signers like Morris that we have made. Um, Lee just touched on our owners. I don't want to like. Um, obviously, you guys are from America. Our owners are from America. We've got to ask. Do you know anything about the current owners of our club? Well, you got the Memphis Grizzly owner, right? The bas- NBA basketball team owner. Um. To be honest, I don't know what else one. I know one of them is links with DC United. I think so. Yeah, um, and then the other ones with DC United. uh, One of your guys is the owner of a basketball team uh, here in America named the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Is that Kaplan? 
Kaplan. Kaplan. Okay. Yeah. Steve Cap. Steve Cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Like the Grizzlies are just average. They've been average forever. So yeah. I don't think it, much of him or very often of him. Okay. Mid table, mid table, good team. They make the playoffs every year and get knocked out in the first round. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> I mean, that's they're, consi- they're consistently average. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about the DC uh, United links? Do you know anything about obviously Jason Levian? Is how you say his name? I'm not even sure. Well, I mean, that makes sense yeah. why Paul Oriol is there, right? Yeah, everyone. Yeah, that's, yeah. As much as it's not there on paper, you'd assume that's where the link comes from. Um, or at least where maybe his name was floated about. But um, I our, our head. I, I, yeah. I, I know yeah. the Grizzlies guy, but I don't know. No, that's fair enough. Um, so, I think as like for us, with our fans watching, that's the sort of we would have to ask that question because I don't know how much of it you know. But since they came in, they came in just before we got relegated. There's been a lot of discontent. A lot of people think they are a lot, a lot, a lot of the reason that we went down. Arguably, he was already starting where we were on a downward slope by that point. Go on. You probably don't want to hear this then. Um, the Grizzlies, is, the Grizzlies <laughs> NBA team has been one of the teams that are consistently talked about moving um, because because they are so consistently mediocre to average. Um, they don't spark a lot of interest from the fan base in Tennessee. And so it, it's... Yeah, it's not. I can't think of anything too exceptional about his management of that NBA franchise. I don't think yeah, that really would point. happen here, though. Would it move in a. Oh, well, I hope not. It'd be the first thing <laughs> ever, I think, if, if that happened. But um, I was just going to say, I, I think I, I think looking at the, the, the DC team, the, the uh, DC United is a little bit better of a, of a template in this, just because the sports are so different. Unfortunately, American franchises sometimes move cities, which is uh, gives people a lot of angst. We have a lot of a lot of angst in that regard because uh, our basketball team was moved to Oklahoma City, uh, what eleven years ago, I think, at this point, yeah. twenty ten, um, and became Oklahoma City Thunder. And we we got to watch like some of our rising stars become superstars in the NBA. So we're a little bit bitter on that front. But I will say this: that DC United, after the LA Galaxy, is the most uh, the second most storied franchise in uh, American soccer. It was managed by Bruce Arena, who's kind of like the godfather of American soccer coaching. Um, they had some of the the best players from uh, around the world come to that team early on in Major League Soccer's history. Uh, they've won the championship, uh, MLS Cup, four times. And then um, their, their new ownership group came in about six years ago and started a rejuvenation of the franchise. They built a. They took their old rundown st- stadium and said, "Okay, this isn't going to work anymore." They built a hip, new, amazing stadium in the heart of uh, DC. It's right on the water, on the river. It's it's the place to be. You cannot find a ticket, and um, and and at the same time, they brought in Wayne Rooney. Um, uh, there's a Luchi Gonzalez was kind of his running mate. The 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 the, the the media called him them Lucharu because uh, the connection between the two was like they had there were two players with one brain. Um, just uh, there was an incredible play. Uh, it's okay. It sounds like it sounds like they got two owners with one brain. So yeah, maybe. But 
but they they really are um, I, I have really brought that franchise back up to prominence and now they're they're instead of being kind of a, an also ran that barely kind of holds it together they're they're much better regarded let's say like fifth or sixth in the league as far as spend and reputation so that's uh, that sounds well to be honest like I think the goal when he came to Swansea's always said was about increasing the commerciality of the club and stuff like that. So it sounds positive then from what you said that maybe he's got background and it's been successful there. And it does look like we're on the right track now to to start having that here. Um, things have calmed down a bit. We went through a period of selling our players. We look like we're back on the up. Um, so I think that's a good place to move on to the end. I know we, we've been going for a while now so if you don't mind us just asking a tiny little bit more about other sports yeah. and then we look to finish um but i would like to say potentially at the end of the season if you're up for it we could get you back on to oh, yeah. discuss more discuss how morris and Ariola have fared by that point and uh and we got a lot of stuff we didn't get to today that we hopefully can get to then but i think <laughs> lee's got something that he wants to um wants to talk about now before we do finish no, I mean, like, as Luke said, we've only just scratched the surface of all the stuff that, that we wanted to get through. And as I said, I'm quite like, passionate about the American sport system. So I, I've got a million questions. That, so we, hopefully we can get you guys back on soon. Um, so I think the, the, probably the last the last thing that we want to touch on is um, our, our national sport is is obviously rugby in Wales. And I think the closest connection that we can make is uh, is the NFL um, so I, we just want to get your sort of opinion on, you know, how how does how does that compare, you know, to the NFL? Do you do you guys know much about rugby? Is there a potential for that to uh, yeah. to expand yeah, so, in the US? Is that so here here in Seattle? We have um, a team called the Seattle Sea Wolves, and they're the two time champions of Major League Rugby. And uh, I go, to, I have press credentials there, and I go probably four times four times a season there. They, they play like a ten game season. Um, it's a lot of fun. I, I like it a lot, and it's it it seems it seems to me to be uh, especially with especially with a lot of the problems with uh, uh, politically, it seems to be a place to go watch an actual sporting event and not have to deal with the money, the commercials, the you know this that and the other thing. It's 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 pure it's pure fun. I love it. Also. Uh, I went and saw the Sevens tournament in Vancouver. Uh, they had that up there, and that was a lot of fun. My friend is Fijian. That's kind of their national sport. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Pacific Sevens, Islanders. Sevens are I think USA have got. I've always had a you know a decent um, Sevens team, and then you've got um, Carlin Isles. I think is the biggest the biggest name I can think of for the for sort of the American rugby. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of English players recently have. I come into play in the major league rugby, so yeah, they are. And, I, and I, I've, I've always said it. It might be, it might be a bit of a, a controversial opinion, but I think that if um, I, I look at the NFL athletes, and I think that they're just, you know, the, the athleticism on these players are unbelievable. The speed, the strength, everything. And I think if they tap into that talent, and if they shift some of that to rugby, I think they could dominate the. I think they could dominate the world in rugby as well. But that's just that's my opinion. And to be honest, right, going forward. I know I told you we were watching Wales play in the Six Nations today. It's our sort of annual tournament for our local area. Like you've got the UK, there's four teams, and then Italy and France. Italy are the newest ones that came into the Six Nations. 
Uh, I don't, I'm not sure quite exactly the year. It was around the 2000s, I think, Lee, was it when they got introduced? Um, the Six Nations, yeah. Right the Six yeah. Nations in South Africa, uh, Australia, New Zealand, right? That's the Tri-Nations. So that's the oh, equivalent okay. for them. We have the Six Nations, which is the Northern Hemisphere version, essentially. Gotcha. They have okay. like a Southern Hemisphere, which is called the Rugby Championship now, because they've added Argentina, I think. Um but for us, Italy are always there's always a question around Italy. Are they good enough? They get thumped every year by every team. Literally ninety five percent of the time, they finish bottom, and they get a prize called the wooden spoon for doing so. <laughs> if if the USA sort of like I don't know had a little bit of if rugby grew a little bit in the USA, is there a question to be asked if that's something that they could you know they could take it to? We always ask of teams like Georgia or. Um, stuff like that to take it to Lee's place, but there could be an opportunity maybe there for the USA if, like Lee said, some of the potential is snapped up and um, a bit of investment maybe goes into the sport. Do you ever see that being something that grows? Yeah, I I personally do. Uh, Sevens is huge. They just had, uh, like I said, I went to see the one in Vancouver, and then I think last year it was in Las Vegas, and they're doing the right thing. They're hitting up key cities that it makes sense, and it's a destination point to watch this tournament. Now, as for elevens, uh, is it elevens? Fifteen is for rugby. Fifteen. Uh, 15. 15. Okay. Yeah. okay, fifteen. Um, Major league soccer, Major league rugby still has some work to do in selling that. I don't know. I don't see football going away. American football going away anytime soon. Yeah, and that's where you'd probably draw that. I didn't from. mean like go away, but yeah. I guess it's, it's it's so. What I always thought is because it's so similar. I feel like can both exist together at a really high standard and maybe not. That's maybe the way I see it. That's tough. I mean, like I said, I, I think you're cannibalizing the talent pool for that particular yeah. uh, particular style. Because yeah. I, I think if you're going to want to play one or the other, you're probably going to choose NFL if you're from America, aren't you? Sure. Certainly. Certainly. I mean, the money is the money and the fame. and uh, But I will say that, that both yeah. rugby and soccer are on growth trajectories from a standpoint, from growing the fan base, from the number of kids playing, um, you know, a, a variety of, of uh, you know, versions uh, of rugby. I think that, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to see a much larger talent pool of people that want to play rugby uh you know, American football has an existential crisis that's been ongoing for 10 years. I don't see it going away, which is that over concussion protocols, over concussion, brain injuries long term. And so um, I'll be honest, I don't know the, the, the brain injury statistics or, or outlook for players of rugby, but it seems to be far less uh, of at least a publicity problem. Yeah. You don't hear about uh, rugby players, you know, unable to walk because of, you know, catastrophic brain injuries throughout their careers. So, um, yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, that's the main yeah. threat, I think, uh, is sadly would be, uh, people choosing not to play NFL football because of the potential for concussions. You have the same in rugby yeah. mind. There's a massive yeah. floor case with that, but yeah, go on, Lee. I, th- I think I just got a chance to think about it. And I think sevens would do a lot better in America. There's a different type of, uh, speed to it that I think might look a little bit more like arena league football where. Yeah, uh, definitely. Where I think you could advertise the hell out of that and make stars. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think like, yeah, you've, you've touched on it now. That's, that's probably another topic that we can come on to um, next time. Hopefully we can get you guys on. But I think like, I really wanted to get into franchise sport, how different that is to the way that we operate. And that's probably something that you could do with the sevens is franchise it. Yeah. Um, so that, that might, that might, we could probably do a whole episode on that, but just to, just, just to round us off. I mean, just to finish us off, just a quick one. Um, we're obviously all missing, we're all missing sport at the moment. And, our Saturdays are dominated by sport. Um, so we just wanted to get sort of the difference between your typical match day for, for any sport, anyway, whatever games you go to. So, for example, me and Luke will go to the to the local pub with us, have a few drinks before the game, and then we'll walk slowly walk down to the stadium, to the Liberty Stadium, and watch the game, and then maybe walk to the pubs afterwards. Um, so we just, just what, what's, what's a typical match day for, for you guys? For, for Sounders? Um, for yeah, for any any sport that you go watch, really, what's your your usual your usual well, match day? It's a little bit different for every sport. Um, so l- let me start off with so- with with uh, soccer here for a second. Uh, yeah, my typical my typical thing is to go down there, uh, downtown Seattle, and watch the uh, the supporter group, the biggest supporter group we have. They'll go from the bars and march to the stadium. So I'll kind of go check that out and see, and watch that, um, and then for American football, I, I tailgate culture is huge, um, where you just you know you go to the parking lots uh, at a football game in America, you, you you don't go to the bars, you you party in the parking lot. I don't care if it rains, I don't care if it snows, I don't care if it, you know, it's hundred degrees out. That's what you do. Um, so I, I would say this, both of those have a pregame ritual to them, but they're different. Yeah, I love that. I'd love, to, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to tailgate one day. That's a, that's a dream of mine to come and tailgate at any sort of sporting event. I'd just love to do it. I'll, I'll jump in with a couple of other, uh, I guess, traditions here. I'm, I, I've got four kids, so I don't get to, to go to a match. But if we, if we're going to a match, um, you know, the the day is usually filled up uh, on a soccer day with watching a couple Premier League matches. Maybe some some Spanish La Liga or Italian uh, league, some Buddhist league, whatever the, the most interesting looking matches are. We might have a couple of those on throughout the the morning, and then, you know, we gather the family up, maybe grab some dinner, uh, head down to the, um, you know, I'm in Utah, so I, we we go to Real Salt Lake uh, match, and those are a little more, I, I'd say those are a little odd, uh, just because of the the prevalence of the the Mormon faith. So there's there's a bit less drinking, a little less partying, but uh, definitely uh, some cool um, culture. Uh, they have uh, one of the one of the drummers for I think it's a really big band. Anyway, I can't remember. He's a, he's a huge fan, and so he's got a theme thing, and the, the whole the whole stadium sings, and it's it's a pretty good thing. Um, we also had a, a women's soccer team here for uh, a couple of years, and that was fun to take my daughters to go see that. So. Um, but a, a lot of my soccer culture is, is at home because it's just not feasible to, to take the whole family out. So yeah, that's fair. I, I have, uh, I have soccer matches on all day. And then I usually, my favorite thing is to, to put the kids to bed and, and turn on the, you know, the sounders on a, on a late, a late night game at, you know, nine o'clock at night and, and hopefully watch them to, to go on to a victory. Um, and that, but you mentioned family, so that's important. Yeah. Uh, because of the cost, you don't necessarily take kids to NFL football games. 
Um, whereas baseball, American baseball tends to be much more family oriented. Uh, yeah. The, I would say soccer is kind of 50, 50. Um, if you take children to a, an American soccer game, you're not sitting in the rowdy section. You're sitting in a family section. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> because I think there's jealousy and I'm going to, I'm going to turn on my own, my own fan, my own fan base here. I think there's a certain amount of jealousy from American fans. They want to be so authentically, you know, we want to be authentic soccer fans, just like we see on TV, you know, with people turn over cars and, you know, breaking barricades. But <laughs> so sometimes I, I think they overdo it and they get, uh, I, I drink beer at the games. I've got no problem with it. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of weird that they get into a hooliganism mind yeah. yeah it's not all that bad really over here like authentic like it's not that's something that, that's another thing that we went that we, we could have explored as well i mean like alcohol at games is a is quite a big topic over here um especially in recent years that you're not you're not actually allowed to be able to watch a game with an alcoholic drink at the moment um and again another thing you touched on i mean ticket prices and stuff like that we could we could we can we could we could go on all night really but i think um just before we finish, and you you gave us the opportunity as well. So if you want to, um, you know, sort of give us a bit of a, a bit of detail about your channel and where our, our listeners can can find you guys as well, if you give us that sort of information. Oh, yeah. You bet. Uh, again, I'm Abraham Deweeson. Uh, up there, there is Richard Michelson. Uh, we're with the Seattle Sports Union. We have a podcast on Podbean, uh, which also replicates out to iTunes and Spotify. Check us out there, just Seattle Sports Union. And check out all our great posts on Twitter. That's at Seattle Sports U. And Rich, what's your Twitter? Uh, mine is uh, SSU underscore Richard M. So. Okay. Well, thank you both. And really appreciate you obviously reached out to us. We really appreciate you doing so and making this happen. And like I said, I would love to maybe do a round two, if you like, um, maybe later in the season. Um, and we can assess again Morris and Ariola's progress and maybe talk into these some other topics that we've touched on. Um, Will you call that episode either blame these two guys for giving us these <laughs> or or conversely we should get all the credit, right? Rich and I should get all the credit. Give you all the credit. Uh, yeah, definitely. We'll give you all the credit. And what we'll do is we'll try <laughs> we'll try and ask some of um people who listen to us if there's anything they want us to specifically maybe ask. And uh, we'll see if we can sort something up along those lines. But yeah, so that's been a really good chat. Really appreciate you coming on. So I'll probably end it here. So yeah, as always, guys, you know, we're trying to develop the channel. So we've got most good stuff like this coming on. So yeah, subscribe to make sure you keep up to date with this stuff and like as well to show that you are enjoying. And I'm sure the guys here really appreciate to see that you enjoyed the time they've taken out of their day to come and give us some of this insight into their sporting world and um, with that so I'd like to say thank you to Abraham thank you to Richard, thanks Lee and we shall see you all on the next video so see you later guys thank you take care Network. The match has just finished and you're on your way home. 
What better way to celebrate that 90th minute winner than a McNugget share box and a few tips with your mates? You channel your inner Ronald as you race to beat the muck delivery home, just making it an injury time. Ordering muck delivery is easy on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.